We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And I'd like to linger on the recent lineup change and kind of the uh, domino effect that it has. Uh, We've talked a bit about the starters, and I think we will continue to. But uh, one of the things that when there is a lineup change, D, there is a, uh, you know, that that effect on the bench as well. And so if you guys would indulge me, I wrote down this list of things that I believe uh, that I wanted to wanted to wanted to say and consider this kind of a menu of topics that we can choose from and take this in whichever direction you want to go. D. So here goes. All right. We need to have a plan. If we're going to switch, we need to have a plan for when Austin is targeted. That's something that teams are going to do on a regular basis. And one of the things about switching that with whatever team, there's always going to be a weakest link on the floor, whoever that may be. And teams are going to target that guy. And there needs to be a cohesive plan as to like, what do we do when Austin gets targeted? He's a super important part of the team. And we'll need to have a plan for when he's being attacked on defense. Once again, we don't have a too big look to go to. I believe that it's Hayes and AD. Switching can facilitate passivity, but it also helps conserve physical energy. And so the switch to a switching type of look, I think, benefits LeBron on some level. And then finally, D'Lo, Austin, and Vando all help each other in a certain way that without each other's skill sets, there can be some complications. So those are that's a, a melange of a bunch of different things, D, of, of topics. But if do any of those stick out to you as a topic that you'd like to kind of pull the thread on? Well, all of them, right? I think that the Austin being targeted thing is super important just because he's such an important part of this team. I think Team USA actually experienced something similar in that Austin became more and more integral as a part of their closing lineup just because of his ability to be an off-ball player who could also shot create and play in the pick and roll, which is what the offense required of them a fair amount, right? Like Anthony Edwards is creating spot up jumpers for players with his work off of the dribble, but they also wanted that second side player who could create shots out of a pick and roll and hit spot up jumpers, but then also like be a ball mover and all this other stuff. So Austin was played a lot, even more than what you would have projected him to play. Well, on the Lakers, his role is already elevated. And so he's going to be in the game. I'm wondering if playing a switching style with Austin on the floor is the right decision at all. I think it's an appropriate question for having a plan, 
there are ways to get out of it, of Austin being targeted. The Lakers try to scram him out a couple of different times of switches, particularly on a big player. In the Boston game, especially, Austin was about to get posted. LeBron saw that he was about to get posted, and he told Austin, like, go over there. And Austin saw it, but his rotation was super far because Boston has excellent offensive spacing. And Boston swung the ball and got an open jumper. And it's just like, those are the things that if you're going to do it, you have to be so sharp. And you have to, I think you would have had to have had the reps already. And so, Mike, I want to kick it to you here with, I was listening to Bill Simmons talk to Doc Rivers about one of his seasons coaching the Orlando Magic. And it was one of the Tracy McGrady years. And Doc basically said that they were like two or three weeks in to the season and they were struggling. And or maybe it was longer than that, but they were struggling. And Doc said he went to his coaches and said, we have to change our entire offense. Our offense is not working. We have to change it. This isn't like we don't have the right personnel for what we're trying to do. It's like we suck. And so we need to change. And he said all the coaches pushed back against him, basically. And they were just like, what are we really going to do? And this, this, that, and the other. But Doc basically said, I stuck with my gut. We changed. We started to turn things around. And after we started to click, we went on a pretty good run. And so the Lakers have done something similar with their like lineup and defensive approach. They have like changed everything and they have scrapped everything. And I just pose that to you as like this Austin piece is a pivot point within that to me because he's actually the one that doesn't necessarily fit. And D'Lo too, within this context of like, let's switch everything. But Austin is so important. And so mitigating that I think is an important question that needs to be answered and answered in the affirmative of we think this can work anyway, based off of our response to this thing. Otherwise, this drastic of a turn is likely going to need to be reeled back. Pete, why don't you just like, give me your take on this specific part of it before I just double on, you know, Darius's because, again, with you coming in with your list. So what is your thought <laughs> on the Austin topic? Um, I, I have my own, uh, but I, I want to hear yours first so I don't veer us off, stay off course. So I'll, I'll give the, sh the shorter version so you get you get some time, Mike. But first off, Darius's point about should we be switching at all with Austin in the game, I think is is a good one. Um, it's really mostly a matter of help defense, right? Like in, and in a switching type of style, it facilitates, like we talked about the other day, the offense gets to pick who they attack one-on-one. -on -one. And against good teams, like your fifth best defender on the floor is always going to be at some level of disadvantage against the guy that they choose to go up against. So if that's Austin, they go, they attack Austin's chest, basically. Now, guards and uh, perimeter players will do that in open space. So if they get a runway against Austin, they're going to hit the af afterburners on that, knowing that they can kind of go through him. And that's part of the reason why he picks up charges when he's when he really feels like standing in there is because that's kind of the game plan against him is to attack his chest. So off the dribble, it, that's kind of how it looks. And then other guys are going to post him up. Right. And so I think one of the big storylines, Mike, and this is one of the reasons I bring this up is if we're going to this style of play, your help defense and your team defense becomes super important. Because one of the benefits of running a drop, for example, especially with AD, is that you kind of know where their play is going to go to. But if you're switching, you don't, right? They can 
pick that matchup that they want to hunt from a bunch of different angles and areas. And where's Anthony Davis going to be within that? Right. And like one thing that Sacramento will do is like, oh, you want to switch out onto Malik Monk? Malik Monk's going to cast off a 30 footer that he'll totally hit 25 percent of the time. But even if you miss, you've got Anthony Davis 30 feet from the hoop. And then it's a battle for the offensive boards, which is another thing that in a switching type of thing, we don't think about the rebounding as much. But if you have Austin trying to box out Aaron Gordon, this was a theme in the Western Conference finals that that's a guy that needs help, too. And so, again, this is kind of in along the lines of when you are disadvantaged at a spot, I actually don't think switching is a great idea um, in and ideally you use you have a way to trap because you're going to have to send a second guy anyway to help out Austin. So might as well dictate the terms of how that's going to look and who's going to be the three on the backside that's rotating uh, and, and zoning up out of that trap. So anyway, that I said it was going to be short and it wasn't Mike, but that's kind of, I think this is a big, big story, Mike, is that he's a big part of the team and how this weakness is covered for is a super important part of how things transpire going forward. I, my, the place I was originally going to go was sort of in the opposite direction of Let's also just not overthink so much uh, Austin specifically and just recognize that he's probably the third best player on the team um, and that he should be on the floor for a certain not, not that you're saying this, but for a certain amount of time. Uh, mm -hmm. And and so like yes. in terms of the coverage and the alignment and all of this with like the can Austin be on the floor in this unit and can he be on the floor in this unit and what what who needs to cover for him? He to me is not the top of the list of the problems um, of of like other than the fact that I think he should be you know, playing more with the better players. So when when he's out there with LeBron and AD and say maybe Rui and then what pick pick whoever else, those team those that those groups were really good when it mattered in the postseason. And I don't think the Lakers have found ways to get back to that, those groupings and the style that they were playing enough um, and the, the things that were working well. While I can also acknowledge that if teams are going to switch into Hunt uh, in the way that a Shea Gilgis-Alexander might um, or certain players on the Celtics, well, they were doing that against the switching group that it was the starters that were getting switched and in, in kind of being manipulated the most, I thought, um, more so than like once once the, the secondary group got in. So maybe you can steer me back towards what your point is uh, against against that, um, which is, again, a little bit of a counterintuitive thought about Austin specifically. No, Mike, I think that what you're saying actually leads into Pete's point and, exactly. and it's the yeah. bridge idea. It's that Austin does need to play more and he is going to be on the court. These nights where Austin is playing 25 minutes, that's not ideal to me either. I'd prefer that he be on the court for 32, 35 minutes. But if that is the plan, you better have defensive coverages in place to help account for the fact that he's going to be the guy that even if he competes defensively, even if he can be better defensively at certain aspects, the team needs to account for the fact that he then goes to the top of their list of the opponent's list for what they're trying to do offensively in order to attack. And if the Lakers don't have an adequate plan for that, Austin's utility does suffer because of that. Mm -hmm. And he will get more worn down and he will see his effectiveness dip offensively as well, because he's just going to get guys on his ass every single mm -hmm. possession. Like, hey, it's time to hunt Austin. And Austin's going to be like, wait, I'm switched again onto this dude like i'm involved mm -hmm. in every offensive possession imagine a series against the mavericks where it's just like oh we're switching luca's gonna be like hey austin reeves come up mm -hmm. you're about to get this screen set for you and the lakers need plans for that 
Very much so. So let's take a break here. When we come back, I want to bring Vando into that conversation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I sent you guys a list of all of the LeBron and AD lineups the other day over the last five years that have played at least 40 minutes together. And the number two lineup was the lineup that closed last season, right? The D'Lo, Austin, Vando, LeBron, and AD. And when Vando got hurt to start the beginning part of the season, we went into the the start of the season trying to replace him with Torian Prince, who's a fundamentally different type of player. And we really got our butts kicked on the boards and in a lot of the aspects of physicality. The switching with the Austin and Vando type of groups, they're the two guys on the different ends of the spectrum D within a switching context that exactly what you just said there, where it's like, oh, Austin's going to get targeted every time when he's on the court, when we're switching or just about. But it's also Jared Vanderbilt. I think the trio of the D'Lo, Austin, Vando, like we tried to start this season with Austin and D'Lo and D'Lo has a lot of the same weaknesses that Austin that Austin has. And then when you stack another guy that's not physical on top of that in Prince, we saw the results kind of as they were. But we also, Darius, Vando's averaging one and a half points a game on 28% shooting, right? We need more offense from him as well, in which I think that guys like D'Lo and Austin really complemented that, right? They're the two skill guards who can, you know, put the ball in the hoop. I do think we need Vando to average like five or six points a game as opposed to, I'm not looking for a ton, but that's what he averaged last year, right? Like you can't be not score at all if you're going to be on the court. But anyway, the, the switching, like if we do that against Charlotte, for example, I think we'll probably be able to win the game still, but the, if Vando's going to be on the floor, I want him guarding the other team's best guy in a lot of ways. And so Vando and Austin are kind of different ends of the switching spectrum where I actually do think this team should switch a a good amount, but that they're two guys that you kind of lose some of their value if you do that with them. Mike, where are you at with this? Because this lineup that Pete's citing, um, Pete mentioned that they're the second highest net rating, but didn't say the net rating. It's actually a funny number. They have a plus 20.6 net rating in 77 minutes. And that's, Last year's starting lineup after Darvin made the change to go to Austin over Malik Beasley. So we're talking and when LeBron D'Lo, came back, right? Because LeBron yeah, was out and for LeBron, and D'Lo was hurt too. Yeah. Yes. And so there was that stretch where things were still shift, shifting around. But ultimately, it was the starting lineup that closed the regular season and then went into the playoffs, which was D'Lo, Austin, Vando, LeBron, and AD. And so just to set the stage for you here, Mike, that's the group that Pete's talking about with Vando being the guy that I think the Lakers would like 
five Vandos on defense. They want this guy to guard everyone. The opposing offense probably doesn't want Vando on any of their top guys, but they do want Austin. And so that sort of polar opposite idea, how do the Lakers leverage that more if they're still going to switch as much as they do? And I would argue they shouldn't be switching as much with like D'Lo and Austin at all. But but where are you at with this idea still, especially with Vando in the mix? I mean, it just takes me back to all the summer discussions about what the lineup should be. And, you know, the, the, the there was the erroneous report about Rui was being considered and then why, why, why we thought it should be Vanderbilt. And the biggest thing about Vanderbilt is just that he can cover in a way for Austin and for D'Lo back when it was thought that Austin and D'Lo were for sure going to start. And as Pete said earlier, that doesn't work with Torian Prince with the skill set that he has. And then maybe Cam Reddish gets you a little bit closer just with the way that he can cover some as a point of attack guy. But it's not, you know, it's still not quite at the level of Vanderbilt and he's not rebounding quite as much. And he's also doing more from his instincts as a usage player on offense than Vanderbilt, where you're not you don't have to worry about Vanderbilt trying to take usage. And of course, that can go to the other extreme when a team is trying to force him into doing it. But like I, the bottom line for me, this all just comes back to uh, the the shift from originally from Austin coming out and then Cam going in and then D'Lo going out and Vanderbilt going in. It's like it's it's very dramatic. And and then yes. to have, as we talked about in the last pod, to have it go into switching and then taking out some of the scheme you know that has been that has been working and the the aggressive trapping and, and moving, getting AD up, but then still letting him get back to the hoop and all that. Uh, that, that to me is we've gotten the two game sample size against Oklahoma city and Boston, um, two very good offenses. And I'll be curious to just, and just expecting it to look good in other ways For against sure. the Charlotte team that not only is a bad team, but is missing everybody. Hayward got hurt last game. Um, Miller might not be back for it. They're starting Bryce McGowan's uh, who I, I'm sure, I think a lot of people that don't watch a ton of league pass are familiar with and Nick Richards. Uh, and like, it's just a, it's they're a team in, in, in some uh, level of pain right now for what they're going to be able to put out. So most anything is going to look good tonight, but it, it's really more about this, this, the sustainability of it. And I, I, to, to not try to avoid the question, but we'll just do so again by saying like, <laughs> there are, there are some things that, that can be schemed for every single team. And there's, there's an identity that a team has to have, but it's also sometimes doesn't have to be that complicated. And sometimes you can just find ways to put your best players on the floor more. And if a team is going to really be going at Austin in a certain way, then you can switch that tactic within the course of, of the course. game when that player is doing it. Like it's not that hard and it's not that complicated to be uh, trying so hard to and not again, not you guys doing this, uh, just the this is the part of the conversation where I sometimes am thinking like, what am I missing? Like, what? why is this so complicated? I, for one, think basketball is super complicated. It's one of the reasons I'm very much attracted to it. And it's one of those things we always say where like many things can be true at once, Mike. And I love the framing of it from like Boston and OKC. In a lot of ways, that's a great like if you're going to find out whatever problems you have with this change, like that's a good way to find that early on Right, is playing a couple of really good teams that can exploit whatever you can't do well within that. You're going to learn pretty quickly. And I think that we did on a few topics. But one thing that was on my list, Mike, was one thing that I like about the the switching and even doing so with the starting group is it's a way to conserve energy. And if, if you think back to the IST championship game, Mike, we yeah. were blitzing the hell, trapping the hell out of Terry's Halliburton. 
that's hard to do in an 82 game type of sense. Like if that was your defensive scheme every night, because it's two guys on the ball, it's high hands, it's blitzing, you're running. And then you've got three guys guarding four on the backside, which means you got to be sprinting and hauling ass just to wherever the rotations are. You can see very quickly how that would be difficult to do that night after night after night. I think switching is a way to be <laughs> lazy on defense, quote unquote, and this can be definitely taken too far, but while still being contained and and like not just giving up layups at the rim type of thing, that it's really good for the Charlottes and for the other type of for the type of teams that aren't Boston on Christmas type of thing. To me, Boston on Christmas deserves a, you know, a, a more like we're going to try to beat them type of game plan. Alas, that was not how it went. But I do think that there's some upside, Mike. That's my overall point is that let's let's run it around, you know, and I and I agree. And, and I guess when. This is one of those things where we're saying the same thing in different ways. Yeah, always, um, yes. <laughs> I'm and I'm not arguing that basketball is uh, is like overly simple and there aren't complications to it. I'm saying that the Lakers can switch and they can also play in a drop and they they can also trap. That's the beauty of first of all having Anthony Davis, secondly having some other versatile athletes. All of these things should be in the Lakers palette. Like they should be able to go to all of these things. And what I'm saying is that like when they do it and for how long doesn't have to be regimented. Um I don't think it, it Although that this is where not practicing and not having shoot rounds right. are, are part of the issue um, b- because and like what I would love to see them get to something that is at least more consistent, like the way that Boston is playing, you know, so they, they know what their starters are going to do. You know, they, sure, they have a couple of different pitches. They have a curveball. They have a screwball. But it's like they're basically settled into a certain style. I would love for them to get to that point. Um, I, I just in the course of getting to it, I don't think you I guess I keep coming back to sort of Austin specifically as the as the target and not of of these lineups and minutes and of the guy that is going to be. But it could be Russell, too. Right. Russell's going to be sought uh, as, a, as a target in that context as well. Um, but those are the I just think they should be able to do all of these things. And it, it should be something it's not something that can't be figured out, I guess, is the point. I totally agree with that, which is why we have these conversations in in a lot of ways. And the thing with Austin is that we did switch with him on the floor, and that is going to be a thing. And you can't establish that continuity if the thing that you try doesn't work, right? Like we're switching in part because the first thing that we went to D didn't work that well. And if you just have lineups where it's Austin, where you're switching with Austin and they're going to target him and there's no... Everybody on the floor knows how we're going to react if he's being attacked in space versus if he's being attacked in the post. That is how you can get to some of that continuity because you'll be able to win those minutes enough to be able to keep playing, right? As opposed to being like, oh man, we lost this stretch by eight and we lost last game's first quarter by nine and the one before that by 12. And eventually you got to go, hey, we got to change and start all over again, which is, again, you lose that, that whole, oh, Lakers continuity and all that hasn't really been how this season has gone. No, there's no continuity when the players who you're actually playing aren't the guys who played together last season. And so how can it all be the same? How can you build on something when you're not even starting in the same foundation? It's tricky. I agree with what Mike was saying, though, in that all of these should be looks that the Lakers have at their disposal, right? What their base look is should probably be, though, one of the things that they're best at doing. If you're trying to accommodate for like LeBron, for example, and not wanting LeBron to be this backside rotator who's who's doing all of this stuff. And so like, let's switch more. Great. But if switching is actually what your third or fourth best at, 
then right. you're already starting off on your back foot, right? And if you need to play an offensive group that is going to require, as Darvin Ham said the other day, like Cam to do this better and Vando to do this better. And we need them to do X, Y, and Z cumulatively in order to help grease the wheels for the offense. And those aren't necessarily things that are in their wheelhouse either. Then you're sort of like kicking demerits off and it's like, okay, well, well, is this actually the right strategy in the big picture in order to get you off to these good starts that you want to get get off to? And OKC and Boston are a difficult set of games to say like, oh, yeah, we're doing it right because those teams have the ability to kick your butt in no matter what scheme you're actually playing. The Lakers weren't playing at drop or they weren't switching everything when OKC blasted them by 20 points the previous time that that they played right. Now, the, to be fair to the Lakers, they held tight early on in that game and then OKC got away from them later, right? And, and so when you play a good team, a good team can beat you in, in a myriad of ways. I think what we're trying to get to is, are the Lakers a good team? Because they're trying a bunch of different things and they're winning some and they're losing some, but finding that identity is super important. If we were just polling almost anybody, uh, whether the casuals or super hardcores about the Lakers, and it's like, well, what what's the weakness of this team? And it would not be the defense, I, I think, that we would talk be talking as much mm-hmm. about. Rel- just Even if you just look at the ratings um, so far, which I only trust up to a certain extent, and, you know, but they're... And so all of the all of the discussion that we're having right now is sort of well, what's the best base coverage to be in, and what could be some of the curveballs to that? And and I think that it's because Darvin Ham has identified this is where we want to get to with this starting lineup. It's going to be embracing this defensive identity, mm-hmm. and you know that's really where this team has to get to. And that I mostly agree with, and I like. And so now we get back to kind of the coverages. And Pete, I'm going to try to I'm going to dumb this down and uh, and then kind of go back to you to clean it up a little bit for just like a base coverage so like a drop you know and just where your center is dropping to the basket and protecting it that way and then to me switching uh or blitzing like these are two things that teams sort of go to generally speaking to switch things up uh in the course of a game or the course of a a playoff series and to get the other offense out of what they're doing and just sort of like different looks i don't remember i don't know too many teams and certainly like in recent lakers history that just started out with switching that's right um or started out with a blitz and that was that's kind of been the surprising part where i'm looking up from my seat like typing or, or whatever in the first quarter and then the second quarter and texting you guys like wait are they still switching <laughs> like mm-hmm. are they is this switching is it going on is this going to be what it's going so that's the part that i'm i think i'm having a little hard uh, a harder time translating is so like that's that's the thing that it's just going to be for like the whole team and and then maybe that's part of why we're having this yeah, discussion Mike, that's instead why I was of like, figuring Mike, out we like have why two the- whole ass pods on this because <laughs> i had the same same thought <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm just getting into it a little bit more slowly, maybe than you, because I, I sort of just, I, 
And that's where, again, I need to sit down with like some of the coaches um, on this upcoming road trip and really dig deeper into what this is going to be like. Is it just is this what is this the new normal or is this just something that are trying to drill mm-hmm. down? Um, and and then again, with you guys, what you're pointing out is like, OK, well, if you're switching, I get it. If the lineup is it's all like six, seven plus guys like the starters are now. But then what about when Austin and Delo check in, mm-hmm. you know, and guys like Shea and Tatum and Jalen Brown are like, ooh, OK, great. You want to try to switch this group? So I'm. I'm up to speed there. I'm just, I'm also like, I just can't imagine that that's what's going to be there for that. They're just only going to switch defensively for the rest of the year, which is why I'm doing the inverse yes. of saying, okay, but what's the real point of this? Like, it's, it's like, do use the different coverages uh, and then we can get back to people complaining about the spacing on <laughs> right, offense right, right. <laughs> and I can defend, I can go the other way on that. So what's the real point of this? I love that. That's let's, let's start there. The real point of this is for the Lakers to get their feet on the ground and be able to create some momentum going forward, right? We haven't been, got, been able to get our feet underneath us. I think that the the injuries have played a, a role, but I don't think that, to me, when you've got LeBron and AD playing as they have to start the season, like you've had enough to, on most nights, on nights where we have four plus rotation guys out, like I put those to the side, but those aren't the only games that we've lost not been not looked good in and so it's about like building a foundation where it's like we know we are going to be good at this and to me the defense has been the thing that's been keeping us in it so far which was to your point i on a more positive angle i think the the best case scenario of this is actually a really fun build and i think that they can do some cool stuff on offense of which we were talking about like the dunker spot stuff i think that to put it simply d the the NBA is not really built defensively to guard a team that floods the paint to such an exaggerated degree. Um, I don't know if we have all of the personnel, uh, particularly at the guard spot, to be able to do that. Like we don't have a, a downhill driver. We've talked about like how we've missed Dennis and Gabe being out. Obviously, Gabe was supposed to be his replacement. And so really hurts missing Dennis. And we talk about him on the, the defensive end a lot. But I think we've also missed his ability to just get to the rack off of the dribble on offense. And so that said, though, I think that there's some fun stuff that you can do on offense. But one of the reasons that my that my antenna are, are up about this, D, is that the defense had been pretty good, I've thought, and that switching, not just switching in terms of the, the, the scheme but coverage, but like changing, thank you. Changing is one of those things where it's like, oh, we're not going to guarantee that Vando is guarding the best guy on the other team on this possession. We're not going to guarantee that it's being funneled into Anthony Davis, right? I get it more with the bench units, even though it has Austin and and D'Lo in those groups, because that's also when a guy like Jason Tatum sits, right? Like I said, the end of the first quarter against Boston was some of the best switching that we did. Um, But that to me, D, is why we're having two pods about this, is that like, oh, is this to me seemed like one of the few things that we had that was at least had some momentum to it. And so it's that that's been one of the more striking things about this. I also think that this group would be great at just running the drops and have yeah. Vando fighting over the top, Reddish fighting over the top, put back pressure on everyone's ass, funnel them into AD. I think you can get off. Like, I think that starting unit can at least be great on defense, Mike. And they haven't been good at all in the how, first two games. And that's how Austin, that's what Austin likes to do as well, right? And especially like knowing that AD is there, being up and being more aggressive and sort of targeting into that and funneling into that. This is a great point, too, because Austin's actually a really good chaser. If there's a guy on the other team who's like a guy who runs off of screens as a shooter, Austin's actually well above average at that aspect of the game. And so, again, this is one of those things where it's like, can you put guys in the position position to do the things that they do well? And so having such a change up is, again, why we're doing two pods on this, D. 
this is one of those things where the lineup change is the headline idea, but the change in scheme that's come with it is probably like going to be the bigger impact on what success the team has moving forward. It's like you've done two things at this, but only one of them is getting a lot of shine. And so if you look around the blogosphere right now, you're going to see a lot of like the Lakers starting lineup, new starting lineup doesn't work. And well, a part of the reason why they've struggled out of the gate is because they're doing something entirely new as well. And so we don't know if this group works, quote unquote. We know that it hasn't worked doing what they're doing, but what they've been doing hasn't been the same to what they were trying to do before. Well, and and to your point, dude, these are both teams like Boston at, at, at the top of this in terms of like having continuity themselves, like doing something new against a team that their main guys have been doing it for years. Even OKC, those guys have been played together for a while. This is another thing, too. It's just like we also don't know if they were switching this much because of the exact personnel that Boston has. Right. And so Boston and OKC, I should say, they both start very similar lineups where it's just like a lot of wings masquerading as power forwards Mm -hmm. and a stretch big man. One way to beat the drop is to pick and pop. Great point. Great. Or another way to beat the drop is to like not bring up the pick at all, do guard to guard screens, and then plant your spacing big somewhere else. Yeah, so that get, you can't always out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Like let's put him in the corner and have him have to stay a little bit more connected to Porzingis. And when he does help, it's drives and kicks to a good shooter who's taking a wide open three. Now, in the OKC game, one of the reasons why the Lakers won that game is because Chet wasn't making threes. Porzingis, though, started to hit some threes and then and then in ball screens with him, he started to post up smaller players. And it was Mm -hmm. just like, oh, well, this is busting the Lakers defense. Right. And so to Mike's point earlier, this is going to look better against teams like Charlotte or who don't have the varied personnel that like a Boston and an OKC team does. And I think the Lakers will be perfectly content if teams try to post up D'Angelo Russell with their power center. And it's just like, is he going to score some? Sure. But is that also going to lead to like LeBron dig downs and Vando dig downs and getting like steals as this big guy tries to create something in isolation against the guard? Yeah, that's going to happen too. And this is a way that you can kind of replicate the havoc creating defense within switching those those dig downs. That second guy coming over to get the block, to tip the ball away. That's really where I think the success or failure in this group is is going to be and where you can kind of capture some of what's good about the what's been the best of the Lakers defense up until this point i think to zoom out again though too mike it's just like there are questions still about like the functionality of the offense and what this group is going to do on offense in the half court and we don't have a lot of time to cover this now but these are the questions that we will be asking eventually because it's like these groups are going to struggle to score and for all of the like let's rest lebron potentially defensively so that he can Mm -hmm. switch it's just like well now you're going to up the ask exponentially of him offensively to be the only perimeter shot creator within a lineup where he's going to have to get he's going to be the only downhill force he's going to be the only pick and roll player and and he's going to have to post up more too in order to beat some of these lineups where it's and play in a crowd it's just like okay the ask is just way higher now for him when it was already high so the the first thing is that i i still eventually would like to get back to you know 
Reeves perhaps in for Reddish, and then we're back in having a different discussion about what they're going to do. But if this mm-hmm. is going to be the lineup, at least for the short term, okay, Darvinham reiterated that again. They just practiced with it. Vanderbilt talked about it after yesterday's practice. So in the meantime, what I, one thing I would love is, hey, you know who's been awesome on offense lately? Anthony Davis. So mm-hmm. keep giving him a ton more touches and keep make if teams if teams want to double, great. Do what you did against Oklahoma City and pass it around. If they don't want to double, go get 40, you know, AD. And LeBron can pick his spots where he wants. And if he's feeling great on a given day, he can take over the offense. But like I that to me is if you're going to keep with this group, then let's feature Anthony Davis more um, on offense. And then at the same time, defensively, uh, go ahead and, and utilize all of that length and size and blitzing and everything like that. And then take out again Boston or uh, to an even to an extent Oklahoma City although their second unit isn't as good and when it's Reeves and Hachimura and Russell against second units like I'm not even that concerned about what they're doing on defense because they're going to be able to score a ton because that is a power-packed offensive group especially if you're keeping either LeBron or AD on it so that's all just that that's kind of getting back to my point Pete about not complicating it too much even though acknowledging it needs to be figured out and that's like what the coaches are there for um you know to to do that but in the in the short term if that's what you're going to do like go ahead and lean into what the strengths are um and beat up on a a, again just in the first game beat up on a charlotte team that is super banged up that's exactly i think one of the ways that it can pick up some wins at a, a pretty low um energy exertion throughout the seasons on these type of nights where there are a lot of teams in the NBA of which I thought this is how we beat OKC, who's a really good team where if you just keep throwing force at them at the rim, they're going to break. That's how we won the in-season tournament championship game against Indiana. They're just not very big. They've got one guy in the, in the middle in Turner, but everybody else, like there are a lot of guys that you can go through. And that's one of the things that the combined force of the starting group and what a couple of the variations of this group, it's like, you know, Cam drive to the hoop and take out Porzingis and then Anthony Davis comes in behind with the easy putback. And so this sort of like flood the paint type of style, there are some teams you can do it against, some teams that you can't. A banged up Charlotte team, you absolutely should be able to. And with the data practice, I would love to see what type of intentionality there is tonight on the offensive end, because whenever you have weaknesses, D, and go ahead and wrap us up here, whenever you have weaknesses, you have to be a little bit more intentional about how you attack, right? If you've got prime Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, right? It's like he can do so many different things that you don't have to create the exactly right circumstances to score in this type of, in these types of lineups, you might have to, and that sort of flood the paint type of style. I'm really going to be curious to see how we, what sort of intentionality we have with that. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing that. I'm interested in seeing how much they do keep going to Anthony Davis. LeBron is coming off one of his like lesser offensive games as like a scorer mm-hmm. that he's had in this recent stretch where he's been playing so well. He's just been great. And he was great against Oklahoma City, but kind of fell off a little bit against um, a long and big and physical defense that Boston threw at him. And, and so I'm with you, Pete, on like the intentionality stuff. I think Highlighting AD is like point number one to me. If you're going to start this group offensively, you need like LeBron and AD to be shot creators for Prince and like yep. Cam to be sort of like a a slashing, passing, like finish at the rim sort sort of guy and Vando to be like the screener, DHO, like, oh, you're not guarding me. So now I'm going to attack the paint. Like one of Vando's buckets that he got against Boston, he 
caught the ball wide open because no one was guarding him on the wing. He dribbled into a DHO. The DHO was covered. So he just kept dribbling in like a big circle and did almost an entire loop around the basket and then attacked the basket and got a layup. Like Vando needs to do more of that. He needs to like be aggressive. And so that intentionality of putting it in the guy's heads of like, this is how you, this is how this group is going to win possessions offensively. That's what I'm most looking forward to here. The defensive stuff is going to work itself out when you have this many good defensive players on the, like on the court. But that intentionality offensively is going to matter because they're not always going to get stops and rebound nope. and run. Like yep. they can try to play that way, but that's not how it's going to work. So let's wrap it up here, though, Pete. They need a win, though, tonight against the Hornets. Very much so. And I, I think we got what we need to get it. So we will be back tomorrow to discuss how it went. But until then... If they don't be the Hornets, that's going to be a whole other type of oh, podcast. Boy. Yeah, uh, yeah the they dis- might. Yeah, with yeah, the Darius yeah, displeasure scale. That's going to be a max. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Never a dull moment around these parts. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Missing. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.